0: You're listening to the Blue Family Tree Podcast. We're here to help you rob the pension bank. It's your host, coming to you from Colorado, Patrick Rice.
1: Welcome back to this episode of the Blue Family Tree. Just like she said, our goal here is to keep you alive well into retirement. Take that pension bank for every last cent that you can. In order to do so, we give you a few things to think about that will keep you alive and get you home safe at the end of every shift.
0: Thank you, Chandon, for that introduction once again, and welcome back, family, to this episode of The Blue Family Tree. Hey, uh, one of our primary missions here at The Blue Family Tree is education, which is what the podcast and our newsletter article is all about. And what we do is we spend a lot of time researching trends in line of duty death. And this month, we found a trend that we can identify for the year 2021 that desperately needs to be addressed so we can put a stop to it for the remainder of the year we're gonna talk for the next little bit about some specific line-of-duty incidents now it's important for everybody who's listening to know that we don't have any special insider information we do our research straight off the internet just like everybody else we're not involved in any debriefings of these line-of-duty deaths Uh, most of them are so recent that there probably wouldn't be a public uh, debriefing at this point anyway so a lot of what we talk about isn't necessarily that we're jumping to conclusions or making assumptions, but making hypotheticals out of what we do know and then coming up with the best-case scenarios for things we can do maybe differently uh, in the future. That's not to say that these officers didn't do the things exactly that we're going to be talking about. It's just to say that we're playing a hypothetical role-play game uh, and we want to make sure that we cover all the possibilities so that when you're faced with these situations on the street tonight, next week, Next month and next year, that you have all the tools in your box you need to survive these incidences. Now, it's not fair for us to Monday morning quarterback these officers, and hindsight's 2020, and I totally understand all of that. So, please, I want everybody to know that we're just talking about the hypotheticals surrounding the generic scenarios that uh, took these officers' lives. With that said, let's get started. I'm gonna flip through here to the first one. On February 1st of this year, Lieutenant Michael Bout of the Hancock County Sheriff's Department in Mississippi was dispatched to a suicidal party. Lieutenant Bout parked his patrol car and began to exit the vehicle to approach the home where the call of service had sent him. Now, of course, Mr. Bout did ex- uh, exactly what he had been taught his, his entire career. He's a lieutenant, so he's been around a minute. You know that much. And he parked a few houses down. Uh, he did not park right in front of the house, and he began to exit his vehicle to walk up to the house. Well, just as he was getting out of his vehicle, the lieutenant was immediately met with gunfire from within the home where he had been sent before he could even get clear of his vehicle. Now, just like all of us, Lieutenant Bout was trained to park down the street and approach on foot when responding to a suicidal subject at a home, or for that matter, just about any call at a at a house where you've been sent uh, for police action. This allows him a few things. It gives him... Opportunity to get free from his vehicle and use his senses like his eyes and his ears as he's approaching it gives him a chance to check out his surroundings and find cover so that if he needs to, find, needs to move to that cover he can quickly on his approach to the house. It also makes him less conspicuous. A person walking down the sidewalk is maybe not as easy to spot as a marked patrol vehicle. In his case however Lieutenant Bout never even had the opportunity to do any of those things. He was met with that gunfire immediately upon exiting his vehicle. Now the scapegoat answer here is easy, ah yeah he just parked too close is probably what most of you are saying, but we all know after our first year of parking 7 houses away we eventually start to park 1 or 2 houses away maybe. So let's take a closer look at some hypotheticals that may have made a difference here. For instance, where did he park? Was Lt. Bout parked on the same side of the street as the call for, for service or the opposite? If he was parked on the same side, would that vehicle have provided some cover for his exit? Could he have parked on the same side without driving in front of the house by coming around the block maybe or going another direction? What if he parked on the same side facing the wrong way? He loses the engine cover, but it doesn't expose him as visible to the collar dress as uh, parking on the other side of the street might. Just, again, things to think about when parking that patrol car. Were there maybe some other resources we could think outside the box here? And I know we probably wouldn't do this all the time, but just something to think about. Maybe we should do it all the time. Is there maybe an unmarked car that could drive by and kind of soften the target before uh, he parked and walked up? Maybe even we send a marked unit down the street, let them roll across right in front, get to the end of the block and do a U-turn. And then any potential threat from that house might be watching that marked car sitting at the end of the block while the responding officers come in from the other direction i don't know i don't know i'm just throwing out options making your brain think and come up with some solutions yourself there may even be a place where driving up and parking right in the suspects driveway is appropriate i know uh... ninety nine point nine percent of the time that's not but there's never say never there could be a time when coming up and parking there and having all your tools and resources right by your side immediately available to you you have brought cover up with you Uh, you've taken away ground from the suspect Um, if he knows you're coming maybe that's the way you want to go is just park right in their driveway but whatever the reason you do whatever you do just make sure you can articulate not for court but for your own well-being and satisfaction at the end of the day why you did what you did Parking down the street a couple houses away is a time-tested idea. The problem with time-tested ideas is they're known by both sides of the fence. So the people who we're going to make contact with, they know we park a couple houses down and they look for us walking in. I'm not saying we should abandon that tactic, but we just may be aware that bad guys know we do this and keep that in mind as we're approaching the houses. Well, several months after Lieutenant Bout's February 1st incident, Police officer Jimmy Inn of Stockton, California, had parked his vehicle several houses down and was uh, responding to a report of a domestic disturbance. As he approached the front door and knocked, he awaited the response, and as the door opened, he was met immediately with gunfire, without ever having the opportunity to even draw his weapon. Now, I've got some notes here for what we can do in this case. And again, all just kind of hypothetical based on what we think we know. Officer N. also responded as trained. Specifically, he had positioned himself to see down a long wall, uh, and then the front door was on the other side. Now let me give you a little bit more background on Officer N.'s incident based on some YouTube footage, uh, body cam footage, of this incident. As he approached, uh, his body cam shows him walking up to what looks like might be like a duplex apartment complex. So there's the long wall of the apartment complex with the windows presumably living room window and a bedroom window for each section of the complex going down that wall and then there's an indentation in the wall where it drops back just wide enough to uh, have the door to the apartment and then the opposing door across from it so there's a little maybe 10-foot nook cut out there where the doors are and there's nothing in that nook except the doors as Officer N approaches, it's in the middle of the day, the sun is out, it's very bright, and there's bars on the windows. He positions himself on the corner between the door and the long wall with the windows. Now the door has the hinges on the far side, and it opens out. So when that door opens, he's going to be able to immediately see into that room uh, as soon as the door opens, which I'm sure was his intent as trained to position himself where as soon as the door opened he had a visual in and he's also able to watch those windows for any threats that may come out of the windows or also for indication of movement inside the apartment uh, looking through the windows. The problem here is those windows have bars on them so the likelihood of a threat coming out the windows is fairly low. And it's the middle of the day, so the possibility of seeing movement inside is also a little bit reduced. So he's positioned himself perfectly on that corner. He hasn't chosen one side or the other. He's not more in front of the door looking down the long wall or more on the long wall looking around the corner at the door. He's 45 degrees off of both, perfectly centered on that corner, waiting for the door to open after he knocks. Well, of course, then the door does open and he's immediately met with a gun and a man's face uh, in the doorway and shots come off just as soon as the door opens. Now, what if Officer N had positioned himself down the long wall? He would be able to see any major disturbance or movement in those barred windows and he's able to look around the corner with fair amount of ease at the front door with some cover, depending on what the building's made out of, uh, but at very least, some concealment there uh, where he's just got his maybe shoulder and part of his head around the corner and uh, when that door opens. And he can remove himself from that kind of fatal funnel that's created right there very easily. That would get him out of the line of fire and give him an opportunity to respond to threats coming out of that immediate opening on the door. Now one thing that I've found that I like to do that's taken me years to get comfortable with, but I really find a lot of benefits from it. I actually prefer being on the hinged side of an outward opening door. It makes the occupant extend out of the home to find you, and if you're looking for an arrest, you probably want them out of the home anyway. Once they do extend themselves out of the home, if they led with a gun, you have the drop on them, and if they led with their head, you've already processed the door opening and the person standing there before they have an opportunity to present the gun that you need to process, as opposed to being on the doorknob side where you have to process all of those things immediately at one second and there's no opportunity to respond and finally what it does once they've presented themselves around the corner of the open door and then maybe you maneuver at that point where the door is not cumbersome between you to be having your discussion now you can see further into the apartment but this person has positioned themselves in a place where if there is a threat coming from deeper within the apartment or the house they're actually acting as your cover or your barrier uh, so there's a number of things that are beneficial from standing on the hinge side that being said in this case with officer in there was no room on the hinge side to not be squared up directly in front of the door again not every situation is going to be the same and maybe being squared up in front of the door would have been acceptable here or around the corner or right where he was it's hard to say without us being there, just some things to think about if there is room down what we call the long wall, uh, on the hinge side, then, uh, that may be somewhere you'd choose to stand for those of you in different parts of the country and different regions who might do things differently. Uh, I don't think that there, there probably are many. Once we've got into active shooter kind of trainings, uh, we've pretty well universalized our terminology, but just to make sure everybody's on the same page when I'm talking about officer Ann's experiences here, the long wall and the short wall. So the short wall, uh, many times where there's a door involved, is just a few inches. And so, of course, we're not talking floor to ceiling, right? We're talking the length of the wall. So if there's a wall that has a door in it and the long wall is on the left side of the door uh, that goes 30 feet to the end of the room and the short wall then would be on the other side of the door that goes a few inches to the corner of the room. And we all know how important long wall and short wall is when we're talking about active shooter threats. There's no difference in applying that same kind of tactic and mindset when you're approaching a house to have a discussion with somebody over a call for service. There's always going to be different arrangements on the lengths of the walls and the positions of windows and doors. You can't forget about neighbors and other threats outside of the house that you're going to. But one thing you should always do when you're approaching a house for a call for service, in this case like, like Officer Inns, is size up the scene on your way. Once you get there, take your time. Make sure you understand the layout of the house that you're contacting as best you can from the outside and pick your spot accurately, not just because it's where you've stood on the last seven houses. Make sure it fits the house that you're responding to. Well, a few weeks later, Officer Chris Oberheim of the Champaign, Illinois Police Department was dispatched to a domestic violence as well. He and his partner parked down the street and were approaching the apartment complex on foot. And before they reached the apartment complex, they found themselves in contact with a suspect who immediately opened fire on both of them. Now, Officer Oberheim. This was a nighttime call and he's approaching through a parking lot. They're probably There's a, a good chance that they're talking about the call and discussing what they're going to do. I would say, based on my own personal experience, there's also a good chance they're talking about their kids and what's going to happen on their next weekend. Uh, As they approach, they're not yet at the apartment complex. They're still in the parking lot of the complex. It's possible that their minds are not prepared for the confrontation. And then they see a gentleman in the parking lot. They go and make contact with him, and he turns and immediately pulls a gun on them and shoots them both, uh, killing Officer Oberheim. Not much to say here other than what I've just told you, which is just make sure once you exit that vehicle that it's game time and we're not discussing uh, what we're doing on the weekend. I myself am guilty of this a thousand times over, uh, but I know also that I have done this and then thought to myself after when things weren't perfect and didn't go as I had intended uh, how lucky I was. And now the trend really ramps up that takes us from february and april and may and now we get into july well on july 9th officer william collins of the doyline police department in louisiana he was dispatched also to a domestic disturbance call he was met outside the home by the involved female party and began speaking with her when the male party exited the home and immediately shot officer collins We've all been making the walk up to an address when the presumed reporting party is standing out front waiting for us. We reach the corner of their property and make a sharp 45-degree turn towards the porch and say, Hey, what's going on tonight? And the RP meets us halfway out in the middle of the yard, and there we are getting the scoop on what's going on from the RP in the middle of the yard with the suspect lying in wait inside. Now don't lie, I know you've done this too, and for Officer Collins, this proved to be a big mistake that night. And it stems from that command presence and knowing that while you're there, it's your house. One of the most important lessons that I've taught trainees is that everywhere you go, you're in charge. It's your home, not the people who live there while you're there. You have to have this mindset and this mentality. Make sure it's not a Fourth Amendment violation. But this mindset and this mentality that when you're there, you're in charge and you're the comfortable one. They're the uncomfortable one. They're going to ask you where they can go and what they can do, not the other way around. Think about it. When you're off duty and you go to somebody's house, you ask where the bathroom is. You ask if you can have something to drink. You ask if you can sit down. They probably offer uh, most of those things before you have to ask, but you don't do anything on your own. Now, I'm not suggesting that you go into a suspect's house and just go use their bathroom but I am suggesting that you own the home it's yours until you leave and you control the movement of the people inside well when you get a mindset like that over years of doing that you get pretty comfortable everywhere you go your spouses if they're not cops they, they go to work every day and they have an office and in that office they have pictures of their family and maybe some flowers maybe a plaque with their name on their desk They've got things that are comfortable to them around them. And that office becomes kind of an extension of their home. They're comfortable there. Well, our home is very comfortable to us. And we're kind of let our guard down while we're home, or at least I hope you do. And then when we go to work, we feel the same way in our office. Only our office is the entire city that we patrol or county that we patrol or whatever your jurisdiction is. After years of working there... You become comfortable and it all becomes home. It all becomes very close. Think about driving around your jurisdiction now if you've been on for more than a few years and you have memories and thoughts and emotions and pieces of your life spread all across that jurisdiction. Just like a normal person does in an office setting. So you've created this comfortable home environment throughout the city to include in these slum neighborhoods and crime-ridden areas, and you've forced yourself to be in a position of comfort over the people who actually live there and should have that comfort. And in doing so, you can create, I don't want to use the word complacency, but a, a certain level of relaxedness that you need in order to operate successfully but it can also prove to be detrimental and in this case with officer collins standing comfortably in the front yard talking to the RP like we've all done thousands of times before it was a dangerous decision and when we're going to own the space while we're there it's really difficult to act scared and we shouldn't be scared but What kind of image are you putting off If when you get to the corner of that property and you see the RP sitting on the front porch instead of making that sharp 45 degrees and walking across their lawn and saying, hey, what's going on tonight? You stop at that corner and you stop behind the fern bush and you say, hey, come over here and talk to me. And you pull her over to you to a safe place and you have your discussion from there. It just doesn't feel like it gives that I own this place kind of mentality. And I think that's why we get sucked into walking up and standing in the middle of the yard and having this discussion because we own this place, right? This is ours. This is ours while we're here. We've been called here because there's a problem, and we've got control of the situation. Well, maybe we just need to step back for a minute, still have control of the situation, but do it from around the corner until we figure out what's going on, and then we make our approach with some more educated information. Well, less than a week later, on July twenty—I'm sorry, July fifteenth—Sergeant Bartlett of the Lubbock County uh, Sheriff's Department in Texas was shot and killed on his approach to a home in a SWAT formation to apprehend a man who had already shot at police earlier in the evening. Then, just ten days later, July twenty-fifth, Deputy Philip Campus of the Kern County Sheriff's Department in California was also shot and killed on a SWAT approach to a home where a man had already shot at deputies who were approaching his home earlier in the day for a call for service. Sergeant Bartlett and Deputy Campus have strangely similar stories, especially considering they occurred 10 days apart. And if you're following the trend that we're going to get ready to talk about here, you might think that SWAT doesn't fall within that trend, but it does enough that I want to bring it up. We're dealing with deranged men who have already been firing at police and are now barricaded in their homes. We have well-trained, well-equipped, and sound SWAT teams that are responding to a standoff situation. In these cases, we already know a great deal about the mindset and willingness of the barricaded subject. We should also recognize from the past experiences we've already talked about today, and that we all know from years of experience, that when we're approaching a home, we're at an extreme disadvantage. They can see us well before we can see them. So, if the issue needs to be forced and ended right now, then so be it. Let's do it. But let's just make sure that's actually the case. With the exception of an innocent bystander or something inside like that that's in, that has, is endangering somebody, the better option may be to carry the call through shift to, shift to shift to shift until the situation changes to our benefit. Now, I know your administrators might not like that answer. They want the situation resolved before the evening news goes on. But if they knew the outcome would be a line of duty death, they'd take the sit and wait any day. With time, it will only get better for us and worse for the suspect. Just a few days after that, we were up to July 27th, and Officer Ryan Bauck, uh, I apologize to him and his family for not saying his name properly, of the Red Lake Nation uh, Police Department, was shot. While he was trying to force entry into a home over a suicidal party this is going to be very similar to the uh, SWAT ones only without the SWAT team let's just make sure this is something we really need to force if there's somebody else in danger in that house then absolutely that's the right thing to do but if the only person in danger is the suicidal male and it comes down to an ego test then let them win the ego test Uh, you go home safe at the end of the night If there's any exterior threat or concern that he's going to hurt something or someone outside of the home, if you leave, then don't leave. But we don't need to be forcing our way in necessarily uh, for suicidal parties. Uh, The the bad guy inside was just lying in wait for Officer Ryan to uh, force entry. And when he did, uh, it was a really, really bad day for his family and the Red Lake Nation. So all of these officers responded as trained and yet found themselves in fatal situations. Now, I know we can't stop line of duty death altogether, but how is it we have a variety of approach the home scenarios here where officers did as trained and we still buried seven of them so far this year? We respond to people's homes for a variety of reasons throughout a shift, and we've become quite comfortable doing this. Like I talked about before, one of the first things that I teach my trainees is to have a mentality that I'm in charge while I'm there and the person in the home is not. I make sure they understand it's a mindset, not a Fourth Amendment stomping action. And we still have to follow the Fourth Amendment. We're still not maybe always in charge in the way we'd like to be, but we give that persona and we receive that compliance. Now of the seven cases we just talked about, Two were suicidal calls, three were domestic disturbances, and two were just mental subjects who had already opened fire on law enforcement. Now, that's not to give you the idea that any other type of call, you can throw all this out the window. That should give you some educated guess as to what kind of calls for service can go really bad really fast. And I think we all know that suicidal calls, domestic disturbances, and mental subjects are the top three on the, on that list. I do, however, believe that we often take suicidals off of that list because we respond to so many of them. And I think we probably do the same with domestic disturbance. To some extent, we respond to a lot of bickering spouses that turn into nothing. So just make sure that both of those remain on the top of that list when you're approaching the home. Now I'll remind you again, it's never fair for us to sit back and analyze these incidents with extremely limited information. The Blue Family Tree has not received any debriefings on any of these incidents and has no more access to anything than the general public. I will be the first to admit that using public research off of the web is the best way to draw inaccurate and wrong conclusions. So the point here is not to give you the idea of an accurate account of what happened to these officers, but rather to make you think about the hypotheticals of what might have happened and what could go different ways to have a different outcome. You're listening to the Blue Family Tree Podcast. There is a trend developing right now in line of duty death. We found it by researching line of duty death for 2021 and it's approaching homes for calls for service. This is when we're the most vulnerable. They can see us. We cannot see them. The trend includes ambush, It includes the suspects understanding our tactics. It includes information from dispatch about mental status or anger levels of the suspects. It includes a position of comfort for us in years preceding this trend. Take your knowledge of this trend brought to you by our close watch here of Officer Down Memorial Page and be conscious of it the next time you have to approach a house on a call for service.
1: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Blue Family Tree podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe for future episodes. You can listen to us on iTunes and Spotify and, of course, thebluefamilytree.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Remember, our primary mission is to provide families of fallen peace officers with a financial gift made up collectively from law enforcement families and close law enforcement supporters from around the country through small monthly donations. Learn how you can contribute to our collective gift at thebluefamilytree.org. And until next time, stay safe.
0: You're listening to the Blue Family Tree Podcast.